Thanks to Indeed for supporting the AppleBits XL. Great innovations and great hiring has one thing in common. You have to ask the right questions. Get Indeed and use 135 finely tuned assessments to hire great people faster. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody, let's get to the show. We back. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the AppleBits XL. Brian Song here, your host, doing the most for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. Welcome, everybody. Look, uh, we took a week off. I literally had to recharge. I've been burning hard. I've been burning. I didn't want to say I was burning out, but I really just need to recharge. I completely disconnected. So thanks for coming back. We just took a week off. I think it's honestly the first week in three years where I have not put out a show, but I think that's not that bad. But a lot happened when I was gone. We had Apple really jumping into a really controversial uh, situation with privacy and child sex abuse material and public opinion. We are going to talk about that there is a lot to dig into that. We're going to talk about new iPhone stuff, new MacBook stuff, new AirPods. That's all going to be in there. So, uh, you know, I will address everything that is going on. I honestly thought that I had a week to breathe, but, you know, people started sending me messages. I didn't check in my mind. I pretty much tried to stay off the grid as much as possible, and it was good. I, I will tell you right now, I have never slept better in that week where I just, honestly, I just let things go. But people are saying, what's your take on this privacy thing? Where are you? Where did you go? I just took a little break. That's all that happened. So we will get into everything. But first, a couple orders of business. You know what I'm talking about. If you want to be a part of this show, I know it's a lull still. We're waiting for the actual product stuff to come out. All you got to do is record a voice memo. Send it in to applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebits with a Z, your name, where you're from, what you want to talk about. I'll be here. You just add a lot of more flavor to the show, and I love hearing your calls. But if you want to be a part of it, applebitsshow at gmail.com. Send in your voice memo, phone, laptop, Windows, Mac, Android, it doesn't matter. Uh, Blackberry? Um, Palm OS? (laughs) We we accept all formats. Also, this show is brought to you by you. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you can support all of my content. It starts at $2 per month, $5, which is like a cup of coffee if that's what it's worth to you, $10, $25, and the $100 Platinum Apple level. What do you get if you don't know already? Early access to my content bonuses at different levels, and a completely ad-free version of this show. It all kind of helps with all of my content, and that's just a way to show support. We also have uh, monthly Zoom calls. We have giveaways and things like that. So uh, be a part of it, patreon.com slash Tong. I greatly appreciate it, and you guys and gals allow me to keep on doing this. All right, so we're going to ease into the show a little bit. And, you know, we have, we've been gone for what? Basically, I guess you could argue not a week, like it might feel like two weeks for some of you. So we're going to ease into this. We got to talk about iPhone because there's finally at least some nuggets that we're talking about in a recent report from Bloomberg and Mark Gurman revealed new camera features specific to the iPhone 13. Now, you know, I, I recently dropped a video and this iPhone 13 is to me feels like one of those iPhones, unless you're in your upgrade cycle where maybe you have a phone from three years, four years, five years ago, uh, th- this phone is not that compelling for me, even if they bring, what, the same four sizes of phones, a faster processor, the 120 hertz refresh rate, which really isn't something that I say, I got to get a phone for this. Maybe the notch is a little smaller. These are all based on reports and what we expect. Um, That doesn't get me that excited. But Mark Gurman reported now there's going to be some new camera features specifically tailored for the iPhone 13 lineup, and maybe gearing it more towards pro users, and potentially we'll see these in the pro models. Now, as a creator who creates content and legitimately uses my phone in some of my shots, I think it's kind of amazing where sometimes I've used the iPhone camera in some of my things, and no one, people care about the content, but they don't even blink an eye. I think I did when I visited the Apple's, uh, Apple Tower Theater store you know, the the light outside was super hot. I didn't have an ND filter to kind of give me a better looking image on my DSLR camera. So 
I was like, damn, well, what do I do? I, I popped out my iPhone camera and that's what I used for the exterior shots in that video. Not a single commenter. And you know how people like look over this stuff with a fine tooth comb, eagle eyes out there, not a single person questioned, oh, was that with your phone? Or, ooh, why did you use your phone? You know, this is the level of quality that we're getting. So the phone's cameras are already great, but will the iPhone 13 lineup make the iPhone camera even greater? I don't want to say <laughs> make the iPhone great again. No, we, we ain't going to do that. But here we go. Mark Gurman reports that they're going to be adding some new features. One of them we've talked about and we've seen, but arguably the biggest one that may or may not have the biggest effect to the general consumer is bringing portrait mode video to this year's iPhone lineup. So that's to give you that blurred out bokeh effect. Now I have used it with FaceTime. Obviously it still feels zoomy-ish, but if you're using the rear camera and you're using the LiDAR sensor, it's probably gonna be a lot more specific and a lot more accurate. But I will tell you, I'm really curious how this is gonna play out and how good portrait video looks like directly from an iPhone. Samsung has had it for at least three years now, um, and it's been all right, but it's it's not something where I would specifically choose a camera on a phone to shoot any type of depth of field type shots. I just never would. So they're going to have to really impress us um, with whatever you know algorithms and smarts and programming that they can pump in here and, uh, and artificial intelligence to give us pretty darn good looking bokeh effect shots with a portrait camera in uh, conjunction with the LiDAR sensor, that remains to be seen because I, at least I can tell you with the front facing camera, it just looks like a zoom call. And yes, we expect that, but how much better can it be like than that? So portrait mode video expected to come to the iPhone 13. And we've seen it already in the iOS 15 beta with FaceTime. Now, another new feature, which is even more compelling Alongside portrait mode video, according to Mark Gurman, Apple's also planning to bring ProRes video to the iPhone. So this is gonna allow users to record video in a substantially higher quality format. And what it's more specific for is in the post-production process when you wanna do any coloring and shading and lighting, you can manipulate that file a lot better in ProRes. So I guess a good example for people would be, okay, you know how Apple released ProRAW for photos and it allowed a lot more control and specificity with editing them? It's as if, it's not the same exactly, but it's like bringing ProRAW for photos, but now doing ProRes video from the iPhone 13. Now, I say iPhone 13, but the report says that ProRes video may be exclusive to the iPhone 13 Pro and the iPhone 13 Pro Max. And if you paused, just like I did, that is such an Apple thing to do. And again, I have to be the first to admit and own this. Whenever they've used this term pro on a phone, they better make a distinction that this camera deliberately does different things than the standard uh, iPhone, let's call it the standard iPhone lineup, iPhone 13 lineup. Because in the iPhone 12 lineup, we had the iPhone 12 Pro Max who had the sensor shift image stabilization, but then the iPhone 12 Pro didn't. And so there's a differentiation between those two models already. And then obviously you have the iPhone 12 mini and the standard iPhone 12. If it's gonna be Pro, make it, it better be a feature that is specific that only those phones can do. That's how I feel. But at the same time, you look at the iPhone 13 lineup and you look at previous lineups, Okay, the iPhone 13 lineup is most likely going to have the same exact processor across the board. The iPhone 13 lineup is going to have the same main camera, right? The same primary camera across the board and arguably the same ultra wide lens, the telephoto, the third camera is specific to the pro lineup typically. And it's, you get the two or two and a half X zoom, which will probably be the same, which is still super mediocre to me compared to what else is out on the market from other companies. But you have those two core cameras, you have the LiDAR sensor, okay, so that might factor more into a better uh, portrait mode video. But you can't tell me that Apple could arguably just give ProRes video on all phones if they wanted to based on just 
the initial camera and the sensors in the main, even just the main camera lens. But the report says they might only keep it for iPhone 13 Pro and 13 Pro Max. Just to reiterate, I'm okay with Pro features if it's specifically because of the hardware limitations, but if not, and they're just saying, oh, this is the cutoff point, that's what I don't like. You know, if they're saying, oh, this is the cutoff point just because we feel like it, not because the hardware is pretty much going to be the same in the phones. So we talked about portrait video. We talked about ProRes video capture coming to the potential iPhone 13. A third thing, and then this sounds just like software to me, Apple's also planning a more advanced uh, kind of those standard photo filters. So when you take a picture and then down the bottom, you can choose kind of those three little circles that overlap that are the different filters. We know they're preset, but it appears that Apple's going to try and add a little more advanced features to those individual preset standard filters. So instead of just applying a filter to the entire photo, which it normally does, and look, most of us click on them. Uh, I think at the most we do like the auto correct kind of the the suggestion that Apple does and, and nothing else. But with these kind of preset filters that are there, you, they'd be able to be more specific. So maybe they apply changes to specific objects or people in the photo using AI. I would the best way to describe it is Mark Gurman talks about how okay there's a filter that would allow you to change the color temperature to warmer or cooler while keeping whites neutral so that would be like specific items would change while keeping the whites white um, with a slider and right now standard photo filters don't have the ability to manipulate them I know for those of you that jump into all the different editing tools for brightness and saturation and warmth and sharpness and tint. You can do that, but they're trying to kind of find a middle ground for filters between giving general users like my mom some control versus just choosing a filter and being like, here it is. And most of us are going, ah, we, we don't even use that. So that's another feature coming. That sounds like something that should be available on all iPhone 13s. Now, you take those three into consideration, portrait video, ProRes video, which is, I think, the big one, and then uh, these filters but also we've heard plenty of other stuff about what the cameras in the iPhone 13 could have. We've already heard that the sensor shift image stabilization that was exclusive to the iPhone 12 Pro Max will be reportedly coming to all iPhone 13 models, which again reminds me of, hmm, couldn't they have done that in the 12? Probably. But okay, I'm, I'm just going to let that go right now. So sensor shift image stabilization across the board, it makes a difference. Now, I'm really steady with holding the iPhone, so I can get away with it. But it's still, when I held, when I did a comparison test, the 12 Pro Max with its sensor shift image stabilization, in many cases, not all cases, but many cases, looked better and smoother with that hardware in there. So that's going to come to the entire iPhone 13 lineup. And then also, there's been plenty of reports that the ultra-wide lens on this new iPhone 13 will, have, uh, will be a sharper image, have a better autofocus, and then in addition to that, It'll be using a 7P element lens, which allows more light to come in. I believe it would have an aperture of f1.8, where the current ultrawide camera or the current ultrawide lens is using a 5P element lens with an aperture of f2.4. So that's going to allow better low light image quality with the new ultrawide lens. You have that. Then there's a report, I think a couple weeks ago, that I included where Apple had been working on a new type of glass with Gorilla Glass. Gorilla Glass DX already exists. It's being used on the new Samsung foldable phones that were just announced. And what that does is it allows for less reflections when you in that camera glass, which allows for a clear image. So sometimes that uh, extra glow, uh, or I almost, I guess you could say kind of like that extra haze that you might get from certain situations when light comes into your phone, that would be reduced. Well, Apple, on top of Gorilla Glass DX, reportedly Apple works specifically with Gorilla Glass for uh, Gorilla Glass DX Plus. And so my assumption is that the camera lens glass that will be used will be either DX or DX Plus, which will also give these cameras another bonus upgrade. So when you add all that, better camera glass, lower reflections, better ultrawide camera, sharper and better in lower light performance, Image uh, sensor shift image stabilization, 
then you have the ProRes video for iPhone Pro 13. You have portrait mode video, which applies to other phones as well. So that's not gonna be a game changer. But, and then these new filters, you kind of add that up collectively. And someone like me, not everyone, but someone who uses their phone specifically for creating content and prioritizes the camera, that it starts adding up and it at least makes me say, hmm, you know, I got to imagine Apple's going to show us a few other features that we have not heard about. And that might even kind of push me over the edge. Quite honestly, the biggest thing that would encourage me to really get excited about this is if there was some sort of periscope lens that gave us at least a 5X optical zoom. And there's no way they're going to touch a 10X optical zoom that Samsung has right now. You know, that's been reported to come in a a couple of years or so. Kind of laughable, but... That, that would really put me over the edge with these, but that's not going to happen. So it makes the iPhone 13 Pro with all these new improvements I talked about that are expected to come more intriguing. But I'm curious what you all think when you hear this, depending on where you are in the upgrades, upgrade cycle, upgrade cycle, and I know we're all in different places, does the iPhone 13 and 13 Pro sound more compelling to you? Because until this report, to me, this was a hard pass year. To me, as someone who owns a 12 Pro, uh, I was like, eh, there's nothing here that is that interesting and compelling to say as a consumer paying for a phone with my own money that this is one to get. And I know it's always like, oh, the next iPhone is going to be the best. Well, it should be. But most of us, the way that most of us use phones, uh, like I said, people on 10s, they're probably fine. It's uh, it's It's becoming more and more this 12S type year or this the second year of a phone launch is more like a camera improvement year. And they've done this with uh, the 10 to the 10S. The 10S was kind of more like a little bit of a camera year, but it wasn't even that great. So I never upgraded that. Then we had obviously the 11, which was an overall, I mean, I love the 11 personally. I love the feel. Now we have the squared off edges of the 12 and this, I guess, reportedly called iPhone 13, really iPhone 12S, is a camera improvement year. So they've got to hit me even harder with features that I don't know about in order to get me excited, really, truly, genuinely excited about the iPhone 13. I think I will like it, but it doesn't mean I'll like it enough where I feel like I have to buy this uh, even as a content creator, right? I review all these things. I buy all of them to review and then if it's not good enough for me, I return them. So I I always have to remember that in my mind. I, I hate how some, it's always like, you see a lot of reviews like, this is the best iPhone, get it. I'm like, well, okay, I guess. I mean, that that's not, that doesn't tell me enough. Like, who is this really for? And from externally, this is really for people that need to either have the best camera available or are content creators and prioritize that. Otherwise, I would argue for everyone else, you do not need to get an iPhone 13 if you are completely happy with your phone wherever you are in the upgrade cycle. Now, if you have maybe like a seven or a six or an eight, yeah, I'm saying this is a great year to upgrade. But everyone else, I don't know if you need to. I actually don't think you need to, especially if you're happy with your phone and and what it does. So that's what we have going on right now. Also, the bump in the iPhone 13 cameras supposed to expect to get a little larger to make these accommodations for some of this new camera tech. A report from the elect also saying that Apple's reportedly using a new method to assemble the iPhone cameras in an effort to save costs. It's not necessarily specific how different this process is, but compared to at least up to last year, the report says Apple has procured double and triple camera lens modules from its suppliers that are already pre-assembled. So now it's procuring these camera modules individually and they've given the job to assemble them to Foxconn in an effort to save costs. So just kind of like you buy furniture or you buy Ikea furniture and you build it yourself. Apple's, I'm not saying their their phone is an Ikea phone, but they're basically taking those pieces and parts and saying, okay, we'll build it ourselves. With an instruction manual that can be very difficult. How many times have you all, I I recently uh, built like a TV stand and I had the the drawers, the two drawers in them completely backwards. Like 
I don't know about y'all, but that happens way more than I wish it did. They don't even color code this stuff. Like, okay, I get it. it it's not rocket science, and I'm not that dumb, but sometimes colors, colors can help. Also, iPhone 13 models are expected to launch sometime in mid-September. At least mid-September was the announcement last year, and then we see them officially release in that kind of September 20th-ish later uh, time period in September. Other small tidbits, right? We know about the A15 Bionic chip that will likely be in there. The phone is expected to get a slightly larger battery and then also have 5G millimeter wave support uh, for international use and additional countries outside of the U.S. Price will be similar, but again, without the camera talk, this iPhone is a hard pass for me, quite honestly. The notch is still there. I will not rant about that until later because people hate it when I get back into that. So that's all the energy around the iPhone 13. I'm just happy we're not talking about the same leaks and rumors, and at least it gave us a little something else to think about in regards to the iPhone 13. So I would love to hear where you are all at with that. Applebitsshow at gmail.com. Send in your voice memo, record it, push it through. And if I get some, I will put them in the show, but I I get it. I I, Honestly... (laughs) I'm telling myself, would I call my show right now? No, because there's nothing really going on. I'm so I'm so messed up saying that out loud. But if you want, if you want, you know, uh, man, relationship advice, I can help there too. I'm I might not use that in the show, but uh, we'll see what happens. All right, thanks again to Indeed for sponsoring the Apple Bits XL. Great innovations and great hiring has one thing in common: you have to ask the right questions. Get Indeed and use 135 finely tuned assessments to hire great people faster. Now, when hiring gets hard, you need Indeed. It's the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even interviewing. Don't just hope your perfect candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. With Indeed Assessments, choose from 135 skills tests to help make sure you're finding applications from people with the skills that you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so we warmed up with the iPhone 13, but let's just jump into... What happened? I guess it's been a week, but a lot of things have progressed since then when we're talking about Apple's introduction of new child safety features. So what I'm going to try and do is at least break down what they put out to us. And there's kind of two parts to it. And then we're going to follow up, but we kind of at least need to establish the ground base. So last week, Apple previewed new child safety features coming to its platforms. And they did say that they will be coming in software updates Later this year, it will be first available in the U.S. only at launch. And then over time, they're going to be expanding it to other regions. So first of all, it's kind of like a a two-prong thing that they're doing. And this is specifically to target child sex abuse material. We're going to say CSAM so that I don't have to keep on saying it every time. And obviously, we are in support of eliminating this type of material from being spread. But what's happening now is... The way that Apple's approaching it is making people feel skittish, not confident, also making people say, hey, what what happened to your, what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone stance that they put billboards up at CES, I believe, two years ago, so 2019, that's when it was. So let's just break down what Apple has proposed and they are planning to do as of right now. So first of all, one of the I guess tent poles or priorities would be communication safety. So the messages app on the iPhone, iPad, and Mac will be getting a new communication safety feature to warn children and their parents when receiving or sending sexually explicit photos. So the messages app is going to end up using on-device machine learning to analyze 
image attachments. And if that photo is determined to be sexually explicit, this photo is going to be automatically blurred and then the child will be warned. Now, when a child attempts to even view a flagged photo as sensitive in the messages app, they're going to be alerted that the phone may contain like private body parts and that the photo may be hurtful. So depending on the age of the child, there's also going to be an option for parents to receive a notification themselves if their child proceeds to view this sensitive photo if or if they chose to send a sexually explicit photo to another contact after being warned. So this is the first part of it. This communication safety feature is coming to updates in iOS 15, iPad OS 15, Mac OS Monterey later this year. And these are specifically for accounts set up as families in iCloud. And Apple's hope is that this ensures that iMessage conversations will remain protected end-to-end encryption with private communications unreadable by Apple, okay? So that one, you know, some of you are probably like, ugh. Uh, of course, we all want to eliminate any type of child sexual abuse material, but that's one of the ways that Apple is gonna implement this new feature uh, for communication safety. Now, there's a second part of this. Starting again this year with iOS 15 and iPad OS 15, so specifically on mobile devices, Apple will be able to detect known CSAM images stored in iCloud photos. So that enables Apple to report these instances to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. This is a nonprofit organization in collaboration with U.S. law enforcement agencies. So what is the method that they're going to be using to find these CSAM images? And of course, Apple is doing this with privacy in mind, uh, according to when they first released this information. So first of all, none of the scanning of images is happening in the cloud. Apple said that the system will perform on-device matching against a database of CSAM image hashes that have been provided by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So think of this database that has images that they have already identified to be known as child sexual abuse material or CSAM material. It would scan on-device not on the cloud, still on your phone though. If it then found images that matched images on the database, it creates kind of like, think of a a number that identifies this picture as being sensitive material. Now, the main purpose of using a hash is to ensure that the this image is identical and visually similar to images that have the same hash, whether they're cropped Maybe even the color on them has been changed, but this database would match once your phone is scanned to find the sensitive material. Now, when you hear this, instantly I'm like, wait, what? Apple's going to scan my phone whether, whether I want it to or not. And this happens before the image is stored onto iCloud Photos, right? All this scanning does not happen on the cloud but on device, on device. Now, when I first heard this and I really read into it uh, personally, and look, we are here to talk about this. You can agree with my stance. You can disagree with my stance. I think this is a very nuanced issue. Uh, I obviously don't, I, I obviously am for the elimination of CSAM material, but, and I say, but, I don't like this idea of Apple being able to scan my phone. Now, we are we have given up so much of our privacy to tech companies. We have phones on us, first of all. Many of us, not all of us, have smart home devices that can literally listen to everything we say and have been comfortable saying, oh, hey, uh, I will get, because it makes my life easier, I am going to give give up some of my privacy. Right, people have actually become more comfortable with that thinking. Uh, whether it's a smart home device, whether it, you know it's our phone, it, it gets a little more icky and more personal when, even if it's happening on device and only on device, when my photo library is getting completely scanned. Now, Apple said its method of detecting these. This CSAM material is, has significant privacy benefits over other techniques. So 
they described their system, and it was kind of interesting because I think it can also get confusing where they say, oh, there's no there's no uh, scanning of your iCloud's photos collection, but in the way that they describe what the system is doing, they do say the system is an effective way to identify known CSAM stored in iCloud photo accounts while protecting user privacy. So the thinking is that it does the scan before the photo is uploaded to iCloud's and then knows if it's a horrible photo before it goes to iCloud's storage. Even if you upload it to iCloud storage, it just basically gets identified before then. According to Apple, as part of the process, users can't learn anything about the set of known CSAM images that are being used for matching. So this protects the contents of the database from malicious use. If someone wants to, I guess, if they know what photos are there, they can do enough manipulation so that it does no longer matches the database. They say that the system is very accurate with an extremely low error rate of less than one in one trillion accounts per year. And the system is significantly more privacy preserving than cloud-based scanning as it only reports users who have a collection of known CSAM stored in iCloud photos. But again, it is scanned on your phone before it gets to iCloud photos. Okay, so if we're following along with this, that that makes sense, but I still am not comfortable with the fact that now the iPhone, I guess the way to put it is kind of has a back door or a way to get access and see my photos. And look, the, the premise of all this is that up until now, Apple has really had a sterling reputation when it comes to privacy for the consumer. And you know, there's been a lot of times they've had requests by governments to unlock or give access to phones in case in use cases of terrorism and apple's like uh no we're not going to and that has built and created friction with law enforcement where they end up using other tools to eventually hack and get into a phone like a like a brute force they tr- they had this box that you connect to the phone, it would just run every like password combination to get access to it. And eventually, in some cases, it did. There are still, if you try hard enough, you can break through everything and anything. But now, Apple has a system that they're creating that ultimately allows them or other entities to scan your photo library for specific types of material. Even if it's on device, even if they don't see it. So to me, that defeats the purpose of them saying, hey, what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. Now, as people were getting frustrated and upset about that, and you know, we're not, we're not trying to just be like, oh, I'm mad about this. I do believe that Apple has all the best intentions. But what happens is those good intentions may be overweighed or overpowered by political pressure, by agency pressure, over time. Now, Craig Federighi, just this week, so a week ago, this was announced and people were like, what, Apple? The, the headline, the TV headline was, Apple can scan your phone for child pornography. That would be like the most simplest way to explain it without getting into detail if you just ignored that. And people would be like, what? Apple's gonna scan my phone? And again, it happens on device, but that's kind of the general idea that everyone was thinking. So, People are up in arms. It wasn't even just users. You had security researchers. I'm going to reference a post from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is really important because I think that they give kind of the most balanced insight. And the Electronic Frontier Foundation is the leading nonprofit organization that has defended civil liberties in the digital world as far back as 1990. So EFF champions user privacy, free expression, and innovation through impact litigation, policy analysis, grassroots activism, and technology development. So EFF's mission is to ensure that technology supports freedom, justice, and innovation for people all over the world. And it wants to make sure that, quite honestly, they've been a strong supporter of Apple's privacy stance until now. So Craig Federighi ended up having an interview. This is really one of those rare moments where Apple has to step up to the plate and actually kind of do a little, I don't want to say a PR tour, but they have to take this head on and start addressing it because people are getting confused and upset. And 
actually, I'm not confused about it, but I'm more like, okay, well, Apple is changing how they deal with privacy now, and even with their best intentions. So you have people like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, Edward Snowden, Facebook's former security chief. Even Apple employees were uncomfortable with the idea of their photo library getting scanned, even if it's happening on device. And again, when you're an Apple employee, I'm just saying in general, Apple pays you well, Apple treats you well, you've done well, and the Apple juice is no no the apple juice has no stronger effect than it does on someone who's actually working for apple and who has been able to benefit from apple i mean i have friends that work at apple that swear by them and that's okay i like to kind of come from it from a more balanced perspective so craig federighi had an interview with joanna stern from the wall street journal to kind of address some of this stuff and amongst the criticisms right everyone is saying like hey apple's trying to say their system is going to be protected against being taken advantage by governments or any third parties because it has multiple levels of auditability. Like they're trying to say, we have all the measures in place to prevent this from going south. And quite honestly, they might. I mean, this is something that we're going to have to see over time how it bears out, quite honestly. And will they eventually bend to government pressure or not? And even if they don't, we've seen there are ways to get around, quite honestly, everything. So Federighi, one of the details that he clarified is, okay, we talked about the ability for them to scan your photo li- or your photos that are on your phone on device and not involve iCloud yet, right? This is like the step before they go to the iCloud uh, photos and match it against a database. So what happens after that point? Federighi specifically points out, and it was not originally detailed in Apple's article this point, but Federighi says a user will need to meet around 30 matches for CSAM content in their photos library before Apple is alerted. And then when that happens, it will confirm if those images appear to be genuine instances of CSAM. So now the benchmark is not, oh, we're going to scan your library. You have to have roughly 30 matches. I don't, Okay, what if it's five? What if it's ten? I mean, thirty. Quite honestly, look, I don't, I don't put crazy stuff at all on my phone, but thirty is quite a lot. Like, you got bad people doing bad things. They could have three or four images on it. Now, so fine. Okay, their threshold is thirty known child pornographic images have to match. Um, Apple doesn't know anything about your account and anything about those images until that point. Federighi said it only knows about those images, um, not if you have a picture of your child in the bathtub, or for that matter, like, did you have a picture of some other naughty stuff of any other sort? It's only matching the exact fingerprints of specific known child pornographic images from that database. So it's using that as the reference to scan Based on what he's saying, he's saying, we're not scanning your collection first and then matching it. We're taking the database of known images and scanning for them in your collection. Okay. I get that. He also made it clear that, hey, this is not happening on iCloud servers. It's happening directly on your iPhone. So that makes it a little more clear. But if you're listening to this, and you still don't like it, well, that's how I feel as well. Uh, I'm not, again, I'm going to reiterate, we all want to get rid of this stuff. I mean, our our phones can really be our primary devices now, can be our primary computers. And we, you know, who doesn't want to eliminate child pornography? But this also opens up some other avenues where um, it could be a system that could eventually be compromised. So I reference the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the leading nonprofit organization for civil liberties in the digital world. So they put out this article that I really recommend you all check out. It's basically called, If You Build It, They Will Come. Apple has opened the back door to increase surveillance and censorship around the world. And so what they argue and what they talk about is, look, for years, countries around the globe have continued to ask for access and control over encrypted messages They've continued to push harder, right? I mean, we've seen this in 
certain countries where their government does have a say on these encrypted apps and what gets shared and what gets disseminated and what gets seen and what doesn't get seen. Like they literally have control over the flow of information. So Apple, right, they've they've promised it's going to refuse government demands to build and deploy government mandated changes that degrade the privacy of users. And we know again Apple's has the best intentions. But Apple's also now kind of opened up this road to a mandated security weakness that could be exploited around the world, right? They can there 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 is nothing but good intentions here. But, you know, they're enabling and reinforcing arguments that even if their intentions are good enough, should they be scanning through our personal life and private communications? Is that acceptable? Do you at home think that's acceptable? Some of you are like, Brian, you're probably overreacting. If you really trust Apple that much, that's fine. I I think one of the biggest things we've talked about it so much over all this time is that Apple has really embraced this identity and it has made one of the biggest distinctions amongst all tech companies as preserving the privacy of its users. This does not. It just doesn't. If they can scan your library, even if they're matching it from an initial database to yours, if they can scan anything, our messages and our libraries, that that defeats this kind of whole take of privacy that they've really taken a big stance on. And they're doing it for the right reasons. I get it. But that's why things have changed and things are different. Because you know, with enough pressure in the future from other global agencies and governments, this is going to get there. There's always going to be some point. Well, now it's been compromised a little bit. It's a little grayer now. It, it wasn't that hard line that Apple used to take. Now they now have the mechanisms where, yeah, you can scan someone's photo library and you can check someone's photos and messages. Someone might say, oh, if you're not doing anything bad on your iPhone, you have nothing to hide. And yeah, you're right. But it doesn't mean that government agencies should have access to that. So another point that the Electronic Frontier Foundation says is that, okay, there's this thing called the Five Eyes Countries, all right? So this is an alliance of intelligence services of Canada, New Zealand, Australia, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Now, they warned back in 2018 that they will pursue technological enforcement, legislative, or other measures to achieve lawful access solutions. So... Basically, if companies don't voluntarily provide access to encrypted messages, they will put pressure on them to eventually get that access. Now, initially, the five eyes, these five countries were really pushing hard on terrorism, and we obviously know why, right? We, If we have access to a terrorist phones and see their activity, there's other ways where you know they, they go to cell phone carriers and track their... Um, activity, who they communicated with. But of course, nothing is as good as the actual phone, right? But the five eyes, these five countries, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, United Kingdom, and US, they first were really pushing hard on terrorism um, and have now moved from terrorism to, okay, the prevention of CSAM as the justification to create these ways to get access for your phone. But Again, this is demanding access to encrypted material that they want to have. And if it, whether it's terrorism, criminal investigations, ultimately, this is creating kind of a back, a somewhat of a backdoor to do things that have never been done, at least on our iPhones and other phones before. So that's kind of everything that is going on. Apple still plans to implement this in iOS 15, in iPadOS 15, in macOS Monterey sometime later this year. Uh, from what I've read up to this point, I don't I don't know or I don't believe there's a switch that you can choose to opt in or opt out of this. But it's going to be interesting to see, does Apple bend? Does Apple take a step back from this? Are they really going to push hard on this? The, the, the other thing is that if we're all in the ecosystem right now and we already trust Apple's privacy policies, it's not like we're going to stop using iPhones, right? It's not the 
the use the way that we use our devices and the information that we've already sacrificed to tech companies for those of us that have and that's many of you listening today we're already kind of comfortable with that idea so it's i highly doubt we're going to see like 30% of users leave the iPhone go to another platform which which really doesn't hold the same at least previous privacy ideals that Apple did and feel even more comfortable about it. I think, you know, Apple knows that people probably feel the safest, in quotations, using their phone on on Apple's platform, even with this stuff coming. So I'm not saying that Apple is, I'm concerned about what's happening. I'm not saying I'm going to leave the iPhone now. I'm not super angry, but I'm I'm actually pretty concerned about implications that this has not even in this year, but let's say two, three years, four years, five years down the line, like what what information will we be giving up next? Because I think that we've already surrendered and given up the idea that uh, we're willing to give our privacy to enjoy some of these benefits and our brains have already been conditioned to that thinking. So this is okay. And then, you know, in a few more years, it's something else. And then maybe in, you know, in a while, we're like, wait, what just happened? What, what did we end up giving up? So I would love to hear what you think. You you may agree with me. You may disagree with me. I, I'm not taking a, a hard stand. I, I kind of fall somewhere in the middle and I, I get it. Apple has not shown us that they have any bad intentions when it comes to this privacy stuff. So you you can trust them to a certain degree, but I would never give uh, a wholehearted trust to any company um, when are their interest, interests really for us or is it for their bottom line? And it always comes down to the bottom line. So love to hear what you think. If you want to call, and I know this is a very deep, tangled issue, but I'm really curious about what Apple Bits Nation feels specifically about this. Hopefully, I kind of explained and dove into it well enough where you you get a good sense of what is happening here. And if I didn't, you can also scold me. Or if I did something wrong, uh, please point it out, and we'll talk about it. All right, let's keep on talking, and we're going to wrap up with a few more stories. We said we'd talk about MacBooks and AirPods, so we're going to do that. The Eurasian Economic Commission. These are this is probably our best friend if you want to know what's coming out. So this is right an organization that has a database that typically has revealed what Apple products are coming out maybe around two or three months before they do. And the reason why they do this is that Apple is obligated to publish all products that feature encryption and or cryptographic tools with the Eurasian Economic Commission. So again, this is why we see this, like Apple is obligated to report this. It, it's kind of a spoiler because back in, you know, if you think about even, well, it wasn't as reported um, so religiously as it is now, but right, we have Touch ID, we have encryption on, you know, just the phone itself on MacBooks and, and the system. So they are gonna show up, but, you know, back in the day, we there were drops that we just didn't even see coming. Well, now people are looking for this a lot harder. Well, in this latest kind of reveal, the EEC database now lists new Mac and Apple Watch models, which have had previously unknown model identifiers, but indicate that they are upcoming devices. So the EEC lists A2442 and A2485 as new Mac machines, which easily, quite honestly, have to be the two new 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pro models rumored to be launching before the end of this year. The new MacBook Pro models are expected to obviously have either an M1X or M2 Apple chip, a new design, same thing, flat body, flat edges, rounded corners. The new machines also expect to get rid of the touch bar, bring more ports, bring back an SD card reader, an HDMI port, bring back MagSafe, potentially have mini LED displays. I mean, This is the product that I have been waiting for this entire year. If there were two products that I think are the best pieces of tech, at least personally for me and objectively, it's going to be the Galaxy Z Fold 3. And the price is still expensive, but the Z Fold 3 that just came out, that thing is an amazing piece of tech. And for me personally, the new MacBook Pro with all of its improvements and everything that how I use that device as a tool personally and professionally. The EEC also listed six new Apple Watch identifiers, A2473, A2474, 75, 76, 77, and 78, all listed as running Watch OS 8. So 
Those are likely the new Apple Watch Series 7 models. Now, back in June, iPhone models were spotted here. I believe it was seven new iPhone models that were listed that corresponded to iPhone 13, iPhone 13 mini, iPhone 13 Pro, and iPhone 13 Pro Max. Now, at that time in June, they were filed running iOS 14, but now they've been updated as to be running iOS 15. So we basically have lined up for us new iPhones, new two new Macs, which would be the MacBook Pros, and seven Apple Watch, sorry, six new Apple Watch identifiers for the Series 7. So I say, hold on your butts. I mean, we're in mid-August. Mid-September to October is going to get crazy. And uh, I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. But those are all published. It's official. They're coming probably in about, you know, the next month to three months. We will see all of those. Now, we already know new MacBook Airs are on tap, but not for this year. Ming-Chi Kuo has reported that in kind of to confirm what John Prosser and Bloomberg's Mark Gurman is saying he is also expecting MacBook Airs with a new mini LED display and color options to come around mid-2022. It won't have as many ports as the Pro, but it'll still have MagSafe and a faster Apple Silicon chip. I mean, I'm if they match the MacBook Airs to the new M1 iMacs, I think that's just smart. and That's just hella cool. But that's just me. I'm a color person. If we're also talking about MacBooks and the future of Apple displays. We've heard plenty of reports that Apple will be eventually shifting over to OLED for some of its products. I mean, there's going to be this time where even though mini LED right now is on the iPad Pro, I've got to imagine some and coming to current or the new 2021 MacBook Pros. I think you're going to see a mix of mini LED and OLED for a few years before Apple gets to the point where they're completely all in OLED. That is part of, you know, production. And then also just their product roadmap that they have planned. And then that also ties to the cost of the new products. I mean, they, they're just not going to throw an OLED in an entry-level machine to bump up its price. They wouldn't do that. At least I don't think they would. But Apple's display supplier, Samsung, they are partners. They are friends, even though they're also competitors. They're in the early stages of preparing production lines for OLED displays, specifically to be used for future models of the MacBook Pro but the MacBook Pro in 2022. The report from the Elect says that Samsung Display has begun early development of a new production process for OLED displays, and this new production capacity is going to be used for Apple for future OLED MacBooks. Now, right now, early reports that have been at least targeting which devices are going to get an OLED display first. Digitimes in the past has reported that they're tentatively scheduling to release either a 16-inch or 17-inch MacBook Pro with an OLED display in 2022. And then those same kind of early reports say, hey, we might even see a 10.9-inch iPad and a 12.9-inch iPad Pro with OLED displays in 2022 as well. So that's cool. I mean, I love you know me, I'm all about the OLED, but I'm also all about getting the brand new MacBook Pro this year with the mini LED display. And I just, you know, there's times where I just don't want to hear about this stuff because, okay, if I buy a MacBook Pro this year, like all in, fully loaded, my workhorse, and then really in 2022, like an OLED version of that comes, which will likely be thinner because OLED technology is thinner. So it'll make it lighter, uh, consume less power. I just don't want to hear this right now when I'm all in for this year. It's like, hey, OLED's just around the corner in 2022. And guess what? I'm going to buy. I've already, I'm already all in. I need, I do not own personally any Apple Silicon Mac-based product right now. I've been still rolling with Intel. I kid you not, um, during the hot days out here, I still have to put my MacBook Pro in the freezer for about five minutes, five to seven minutes before I render out a video just to cool it down. And it literally cuts down the render time probably by around 25%. I'm not even joking. Like I still do, when it gets super hot sometimes, even when I'm editing, I like have to put it in the freezer just to cool it down for a little bit. I don't want to do that anymore. So um, I'm excited about OLED coming to Apple. Obviously uh, 
Apple Watch and Apple iPhones use OLED displays. I think the touch bar in Macs are OLED displays as well, which are going bye-bye, thank goodness. I hate the touch bar personally. But um, we're going to see if they expand it, and it looks like 2022 will be the year that OLED finally comes to the Mac. I know. You're excited. Some of you are. Okay. Actually, you all should be excited about OLED. It's so juicy. Now, our last report talks about the AirPods and Apple research suggests that AirPods could be used to estimate respiratory rates. So let's take us back maybe about a month ago or so, maybe even a little longer than that. Now, if you remember Kevin Lynch, who's Apple's VP of technology, he typically shows up in the keynotes talking about the Apple Watch and showcasing kind of the latest tech and software for that. He had done an interview, I believe after the one of the was it after WWDC? It might have been after WWDC. And he did an interview with TechCrunch. And in that interview, he talked about how, oh, you know, Apple uses different sensors to take biometrics. And the interviewer asked him, oh, well, what about the AirPods? Could that be part of this sensor mix? And he said, we are already doing sensor fusion today, meaning, let's say, taking sensors from the Apple Watch and from the iPhone to work together. So that's not nothing new. But he added that, you know, the potential is, you know, there's a lot of potential in that area to do more. This is because the reporter said, hey, what about AirPods? Can they be part of that? So he's excited about the potential. So you kind of connect the dots. There's been a lot of patents over the years about Apple trying to put biometric sensors in AirPods themselves. Well, a new research report that you can find actually on Apple's website. It's under their Apple machine learning research website. And it was first spotted by My Healthy Apple, which is a website that covers that space. Found that AirPods using their mics can actually detect and listen for in your inhale and exhale to get a metric of your respiratory rate. And the respiratory rate helps you know, kind of identify and assess your overall health and physical fitness, but it's already there. Like it, it technically already exists by using just the mics on AirPods, not even putting actual biometric sensors in them yet. So it was kind of exciting and kind of fun to see that the, the paper itself doesn't name and call out AirPods directly, but it talks about the potential of health monitor monitoring features with truly wireless earphones by being able to, even in the future, do earbud-based fitness monitoring for things such as uh, temperature, heart rate, perspiration levels, and more just through skin contact. And look, I'm really excited about the potential of what Apple's devices can do health-wise, but I I still feel, based on the reports, that this Apple Watch Series 6 is, or sorry, this Apple Watch Series 7 is going to be all about kind of the new redesign of it and maybe they'll throw out kind of one minor health metric but it's going to be apple watch series 8 where this sensor from the company that they've been working with that could potentially do blood glucose uh you know i I think there's already sensors for like kind of body mass but sweat blood sugar levels um blood oxygen heart rate uh blood pressure there's a few of those metrics that apple can't measure with their current devices and all of that would be coming. Oh, alcohol level, blood alcohol levels would be coming arguably after testing in the Apple watch series eight. So I think that this year it's all about the new design, thinner bezel. It's body is still like a kind of like the design cues of the iPhone and the iPad with the flat body, flat edges, rounded corners. That will be kind of the main appeal, but it's going to be once once they blow it open for health, that's when it's going to become really, really special. All right, everybody. I didn't think the show was going to be that long, quite honestly. I thought it was going to be like a 30-minute show, and I look here, we're, we're almost at an hour, which is crazy, but I just thought there was a lot more to talk about, and, you know, it's fun to be back. Uh, you know, thanks for really supporting all my content, allowing me to take a break. Those Patreon supporters out there, patreon.com slash Tong. You allow me to keep on doing this, and I'm so grateful for it because, uh, you know, I'm independent. I wouldn't be able to do this consistently without all y'all. We also have to thank our Platinum Apples at the $100 level, Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Freighter, Jarrett Lewis, and Atari Koenigsegg. Thank you so much for your support, and thank you to all of you for your continued support. Uh, 
this is a wild ride. We're at year three. I'm I'm going. You know, some people had told me in our Zoom chats that, oh, can you do more music videos? And I have them, so it, it does require me to kind of take a little not time off, but it basically requires me to kind of take a week to allocate to that stuff. And you know, if you want to get some of that fun, funky stuff, uh, I'm 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 getting it. I'm getting it revved up. I swear. I swear. So thanks again for all your support. Again, if you want to be a part of the show, all you got to do is call in. By calling in, I mean record a voice memo on your device. Send it into applebitshow at gmail.com, your name, where you're from. If you have thoughts about Apple's new privacy and CSAM kind of initiative, I want to hear about it. How comfortable do you feel about this? Do you do you trust Apple wholeheartedly, knowing they have good intentions, knowing that? Or do you feel like no matter what their intentions are, you're not comfortable about this? Or do you completely just hate the idea, period, of them now pushing to have the ability to scan your library? I it is. I think that it, this is a, obviously a very personal thing, and I don't know if there's necessarily a wrong answer when it comes to you personally, but are you willing to give up more of your privacy to a company that once said, what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone? Because uh, if I'm reading that statement and thinking about it, it's not the case anymore. All right, everybody, thank you so much for coming and hanging out, spending your time. Thank you so much for listening and continuing to listen. Hey, uh, if you if you want to keep this thing going, tell someone else to listen. I mean, I think this is a great show. <laughs> All right, we are still kind of waiting for the crazy fall season to come, but once it's here, it's going to be pretty wild. But thanks so much for hanging out with us. We'll be back next week, same bat time, same bat channel. It's the Apple Bits XL, baby. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.